So we're going to continue our series on uh, God's plan for our well-being uh, from a particular book in the Bible that I find incredibly uh, exciting. Now, I don't know um, whether you feel that at your stage of life that you could write a book or have a book written about you about your life and, and how you serve God. Uh, I think that many Christians could write a book about how good God is, not how good they've been, but how good God has been, uh, how the testimonies continues. And I like, I, I like bookshops, actually. A lot of them closed down. I think we were in Stratford, and there was massive waterstones in Stratford. And I went in, I thought, there's so many books, so many books about people's lives. But imagine if we had a book in the Bible written about us. Now, we can't, of course, because the Bible's already been written, and, and we can't have that happen. Of course, we can't. But we're going to look at a man, um, the first week of, of, of Daniel, who's around 580 BC, and he really is an Old Testament hero. So he was around 2,600 years ago, and uh, there's many chapters about his particular life. And it's written, you know, it's written for us. It's not just written because it was recorded about his life. It's written for us 2,600 years later. In 2 Timothy 3.16 says this. This is very important concerning our approach to the Bible. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man, woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is the essence of why we have the Bible, so that we will be, not that we just learn it, but that we'll be thoroughly equipped for everything that God has for us. So we're so grateful for this book of Daniel. And he was one of these people who remained fit for purpose all the way through his life. You know, Daniel outlived four kings, two whole empires, and helped to change history. He lived to the age beyond the age of 90. Now, uh, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, which you have probably heard that story, it's, dare I say, it's not really a children's story as, as such, but we use it as that. But it was an incredible event in the life of Daniel. Daniel, they reckon, was probably 90 years old when he's in the lion's den. And, and often we don't kind of appreciate that. But the, what it tells us is he remained fit for purpose all the way through his life. Now, uh, talking about it being a Sunday school story, when our, our son David, when he was um, very young, got to the age of about two or three, and at last it was time for him to go into the Sunday school. It was called Acorn Kids. Ours is called Encounter Kids. And he went into Sunday school. And as parents, we wanted to, we're really interested. You know, when my kids were young and went into Sunday school or uh, school, I always wanted to be a fly on the wall to see what they were really like. And uh, so he went into Sunday school and at lunch we decided, well, we, we didn't want to grill him, but we did. So we asked him, how was it Sunday school the first time? And, um, and, and for one of the first occasions when we asked him a question, he didn't say, fine. Because that's what they always do when they come home and say, how was school? Fine. And, um, but he says, no, no, it was really good to play games. And we said, what was it about? Do you want to pressure him too much? And he, he said it was about... Daniel in the lion's den. I thought, that's amazing, the age of three, remembering that. So we thought, let's push it a little bit further. Daniel in the lion's den. And what happened? He says, well, Daniel prayed 
and then the lions ate him. <laughs> now it's a good Sunday school that they went to, and we, you know, we sensitively explained that Daniel prayed and nobody ate anybody, but. Um, <laughs> But the purposes of God can be fulfilled in the darkest of places if we remain fit for purpose. And Daniel at the name at the age of 90. Now, right back at the start of Daniel, we hear about how Daniel's beloved nation, Israel, is defeated. Jerusalem is ransacked. And they were dragged off, or the royal family, and many of them were dragged off into this empire called Babylon, 2,700 kilometers away. Now, how on earth did Daniel and God's chosen people end up in exile? Now, nations besieging nations has not been uncommon, as we know, throughout history. But we're just going to read the first six verses of Daniel chapter 1, if you'd like to follow. Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year, the words will probably come on the screen, in the third year, of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, uh, the king of Judah, into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpanaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So this is Daniel and some of these men over it being dragged off to um, Babylon. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Uh, He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them to a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among them there were three others from Judah and uh, three other of Daniel's friends, as we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So here we are, dragged off from Jerusalem. And it's staggering that we're talking about Jerusalem that was ransacked because this was, in a sense, God's pride and joy. And, uh, but it says, Nebuchadnezzar, kingdom of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it, and the Lord delivered the kingdom of Judah into his hands. Now, even though Babylon was a world power, it was still a shock defeat that Jerusalem would go down like this. But the king of Israel... Uh, the problem was that he'd allowed permissiveness from other nations to flood Jerusalem. And they they brought in such things as idolatry, immorality, oppression, exportation, neglect, and, and greed. And they became incredibly complacent in their relationship with God. And the Bible records again and again how God wanted them to break out of this particular complacency. If you read it towards the end of the Old Testament, there's all these minor prophets. And a minor, minor prophet is simply one who somebody wrote a short book of the Bible rather than a long prophecy. The major prophets are those who wrote the long ones. But the minor prophets towards the, uh, the end of the Old Testament is just 
God saying, don't be complacent, don't be complacent, return to me. And even Jesus picked up on it, didn't he? In Matthew chapter 23, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those that I sent to you, how often I longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So time and again, God encouraged them to come back to him and to live as he wanted them to live. So, so Daniel, who wanted to follow God, is caught up in this unlikeliest of um, exiles. And so often in life, people can suffer from the choices and the decisions of other people, and we're seeing that within our world. But Charles Swindle says this, Life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. So sometimes we cannot determine what happens to us, but we can determine how we react. And even though this was not anything to do, any blame could be apportioned to Daniel and his friends and many that were dragged off, but they could choose how they reacted to being put into um, Babylon. And the wonderful thing is, is that Daniel did not lose his dream. He did not lose his identity and he didn't lose his hope. And maybe that's a word for somebody this morning, that even when things don't go quite when, as we want it, then, then God's dreams for us don't go. And the identity of belonging to him is not lost, and we still have uh, hope. And, it, and Daniel did something incredible. He was able to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. And uh, when this exile took place, it's recorded, isn't it, I think, in Psalms where it says, how can we sing a, the Lord's song? How can we live for God in this strange place? But Daniel was able to sing the Lord's song in a strange land because he remained fit for purpose. And the idea was that Daniel would be trained by Nebuchadnezzar, uh, his officials, for three years, and they would be trained in the, this new culture in Babylon, and they were to eat the best food from the king's table so that they would be fit and ready to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. And one of the first choices that Daniel had to make, he was confronted with, was what he would eat. Because he's pressurized to eat certain things. But Daniel wanted to serve the one true God more than he wanted to serve Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to be fit to serve him. The problem was the, fur, the food on Nebuchadnezzar's table um, was food that had been offered to idols. And Daniel didn't want to compromise with eating this, this food because he thought it was a statement of intent, a statement of what his life was about. It's not as if the food was bad. It was very rich food. This was not just food. This was not just M&S food. This was Nebuchadnezzar's food. This was incredibly rich food, but it was food that was a tribute. And it clearly could contradicted the commands of God for Daniel to eat. So he didn't want to compromise himself. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to be fit and healthy and wise and alert to serve him. Daniel wanted all those things in order to serve the living God. Now, he didn't want to give credence to these idols. He was incredibly brave because he could have been put to death for not eating this 
food. And the court official that was looking after Nebuchadnezzar and this, this team of young people that he had to train up, he was terrified because if Daniel and his friends didn't eat this food and it looked weaker than all the others, then this guy, would, this official, would pay for it with his life. But there's one thing to do the right thing. It's another thing to do it in the right way. So Daniel was very compassionate towards this official because Daniel says, um, test us in this. We're not going to eat the king's rich food. We're just going to have water and vegetables and test us in this for 10 days. And after 10 days, it says this, at the end of the 10 days, that Daniel and his friend looked healthier and better and more nourished than any of those young men who ate the royal food. It's not always easy to honour God in the right way or to honour God at all. But he's honouring back towards us if we will honour him. And they looked a lot better than those that had eaten all this rich food. Now I reckon that Daniel had been brought up to be healthy because there's a list of how good and how, how, how good looking he was when he was young. So he obviously ate well. Now many of us have probably grown up with the memories of arguing at the table with our parents as to about what we would eat and what we would not, what we would eat and what we would not eat. And I remember having that with our parents. Uh, I remember Wendy having that with our children. Uh, I remember Wendy having that argument with me about me. So, <laughs> so these arguments happen at the table as to what we, we eat. But, but Daniel had this head start. He had this head start when it came to food because he was brought up on the law of Moses. So he already knew what was good to eat. You see, you cannot separate the law of Moses and a lot of the Old Testament laws from God wanting us to be healthy. They're not just about obedience, they're about our well-being. And I could point to lots of scriptures, and many people here could point to lots of scriptures, that the reason that God put them in is so that we'd be healthy, is so that we would be, so that we would be well. And one of the reasons, you know, that why... People throughout the centuries have been jealous of Jewish people is because they've always been the healthiest people in the world. They've always lived longer than everybody else. Infant mortality rates has always been better for them than everybody else because they followed these Old Testament laws. Now, I'm not saying you've got to eat what they ate in the Old Testament. The principle is there that God wants us to be well. And God gives us guidance and wisdom and how to be well and to stay healthy. Now we know that when Jesus came on the scene, that he wanted people to be well. Most of the New Testament, they reckon all the Gospels, they reckon about a third of it is either Jesus on his way to pray for somebody, um, praying for somebody, or somebody that's been prayed for, telling everybody else that they've been prayed for. So there's a lot in there about Jesus wanting us to be well. We are blessed, um, certainly in this country and many parts of the world, of the common grace of people who serve us and give us medical care. That's common grace that God gives our world. And we thank God for them, don't we? That, uh, and many of us have already had our lives saved, I'm sure, and our well-being enhanced because of the common grace of the medical profession. But Scripture also encourages us to do what we can do ourselves to be healthy to do those things that helps us to keep well, whether it's be food or exercise as we've been looking at. And God gives us wisdom to follow in order to be fit for purpose. 
Now, this rich food that, that uh, Daniel was supposed to have been eating was going to be um, for a season, and it would have been okay for, it, for him to eat for a season, I'm sure. But he wanted to serve God, and he wanted to serve God long term. And it's not so much that we have to follow all the Old Testament laws and what they eat, because food is prepared a little bit better today uh, from back then. But the principle remains to eat in such a way that we're fit for purpose. We can still do that, that we are fit for purpose. They reckon for the first time in history, as many people are suffering from the results of too much food as to too little food. So in the past, more people died through malnutrition. They reckon now more people die from overeating than undereating. They reckon that diabetes, heart disease, and other lifestyle-based diseases now kill more people than all the infectious diseases worldwide. That's an incredible statement. And here was Daniel wanting to remain fit for purpose. Now, understand this. This is not about shape. This is not about looks. This is not about being sporty. Although we know that Daniel did look good in the beginning anyway, so he was fine. But it's about honouring God, isn't it? And, and, and even though Daniel already looked good, he's already in good shape, already sporty, he still wanted to be fit for purpose. And as has been said, we don't offer God dead meat, but we do offer our bodies as living sacrifices in order to live for him. Now as I get older, and I am getting older, I realise I won't quite get away with not taking this seriously. Stage in life when you recognise you have to take these things kind of seriously. Now, this is not about vegetarianism. This is not a message about vegetarianism. And there's nothing to suggest that Daniel didn't eat meat, even though he ate vegetables for a while. I have to say, it does inspire me. If I go to uh, KFC now and order a large KFC, I feel obliged to order a corn on the cob as a side <laughs> to go alongside. So bit by bit, and last time I went, I ordered two corn on the cobs on the side. And even though that cost £3 extra combined, I thought, that's a good thing. That's a good thing that I want to tell my church that I had. No, I didn't. (laughs) I do jest. Food is wonderful and can still be enjoyed. So please uh, recognize that. But eating a little better means that some sicknesses can be avoided. And some sicknesses can be reversed, so it is good for us. And it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that Daniel ate well and served God for 90 plus years. I think that there might be something in that. And David Pawson says this, he says this, Because he would not eat the king's meat when he was 16, the lions wouldn't eat him when he was 90. Because he was fit for purpose. I remember going to a conference when I worked for an organisation called Youth of Christ and they had this management guru, as they say, just a real specialist in management to come and speak to us and it was a real privilege. Her name was Jill Garrett. Some of you have heard of Jill Garrett. And she talked on all the stuff about management, interestingly enough. And um, I can't remember what she said. But there was a question time afterwards. And somebody put their hand up and says, Jill, when it comes to management now, because we're all kind of middle managements in that stage, what would you say is the one thing that we need at this moment in time in the 
that point of the 20th century. She said, if I could give you one bit of advice, if you're a manager, if you lead people, and we expected some kind of key to how to lead people, she said, stay fit and healthy. Stay fit and healthy. And the reason she said this, she says, because the rate of change in society at the moment is so quick, so vast, that it's only those really that are fit and healthy that seem to survive that, that can make those decisions that can be on the ball very quickly. Now, I don't know whether it's fully true, you know, it's probably this truth in it. But that was her advice. Do what you can to stay fit and well because you can go further uh, as you do that because the way to change is so, so quick. Now, God knows that we're not all 21, age 21, and in our peak of fitness, fitness. But there is an expectation biblically that we do what we can, that we take personal responsibility. And, and one of the things I've picked up over the years is that when I started to say started our children, got two children, um, that there was a little bit more reason for me to, or there was an added responsibility to me. I remember going in a minibus with somebody that was driving just after our son had been born, and uh, we were away, I was away for a week, and he was a driver, and uh, he used to work for a Christian kind of research organisation, Mark Europe, I think it was called, and, and this driver, I won't tell you his name, He's called Peter, I won't tell you his surname. He was called Peter, yeah, he was called Peter. Anyway, he was driving. He was the worst driver I've ever been in, in my worst driver. I mean, he would approach a roundabout at 50 miles an hour. People approaching the roundabout from half a mile away were terrified. As this, this minibus was just coming towards this, and um, our son had not been alive for many months. And I tell you, I wasn't fearful for my own life. Is because he was around, that I wanted to be safe, that I wanted to be well. And uh, after a few kind of trips with Peter, I sat him down and I explained to him, <laughs> he was a terrible driver. <laughs> As a Christian, he was a terrible driver. I told him everything he could do. He was a terrible driver. But, but he just, the sense of responsibility. And Rick, Rick Warren, in uh, one of his books, Purpose Driven Life, there's a quote, and I won't give you the whole story, but this is a lady talking to her husband. And uh, he was quoted, says, uh, Stephen, if you die early, man, he's a Geordie, if you die early, man, I'm going to miss you. But if you die of something that was preventable, I'll really be disappointed that you didn't, didn't do everything you could to be here for me and your daughter. And when I read that, I thought, wow, that's a powerful thing. It's a powerful thing that, that we're here for other people. As well, we have that responsibility. Now, this is not, again, about shape, about size, or making people feel guilty. But just to conclude, because this is kind of an introduction, as, as Daniel and his friends, as they trusted God, as they honoured God, something amazing happened. Something amazing happened. He says, at the end of the ten, ten days, the four of them looked healthy and better nourished than any of the other young people of their age. Um, who ate all the royal food. But Daniel and his friends, they looked far better. God gave them knowledge and understanding that was ten times better than the, all, the other wise people within the group. God was doing something. God gave Daniel supernatural understanding for vision and dreams, and you can read about them. And God gave them favor in their relationships. We'll pick up 
on that next week, but God even gave them favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. So even though there isn't a menu in the New Testament and there's very little uh, restriction, one of the things we've been learning over these last few weeks, that our physical, physical well-being can affect our spiritual well-being, can affect our emotional well-being, can affect our relational or vocational, even financial well-being. And uh, Daniel just inspires, and I know it's inspired a lot of people, to do what it takes to remain fit for purpose long-term. You know, because one day we'll be written about in heaven. We'll be written about in heaven and we want to remain fit for purpose. Now I'm going to invite the band to come up and join me because um, we're going to pray in a moment and uh, um, pray in a certain way for those who would like this. So I'm going to invite us all to stand, been sitting for a little while. Now we thank God for our bodies, we do, we do. I know that we might look in the mirror and struggle with that sometimes or compare ourselves with other people, but we, we thank God for our bodies. This, as we've been learning, this is the only place we're going to live, this side of heaven. So we thank God for our bodies and therefore... Decisions of good food, exercise, choices we make are very are important for us, we know that. We thank God, as I said, for the common grace of people who serve us medically and psychologically. We, we're, we're so blessed in this country with what we have. And, and as we get older, I'm sure our appreciation gets stronger and stronger. But we're also thankful that we can pray. We're also thankful that we can pray, that there is a spiritual dimension to this, And as I said, Jesus was very committed, wasn't he, to demonstrating the power of God and the grace of God. And he was wonderful early, wasn't he, to sing Waymaker and hear the, the story from, uh, about Zeke from James and Debs. And uh, God can do that, can't he? God can do that. Just, just break through from heaven, um, his kingdom uh, to come. And in a moment, I just want to invite forward those who would like to be prayed for um, for physical healing. So this is nothing to do with what you eat. Okay, even though we've talked about that. Nothing to do with what you eat. Uh, There's times when God wants to intervene and bless us. In James chapter 5, verse 13, it says, If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders or leaders of the church to pray over them. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they sinned, they would be forgiven. So even if it's something that's self-inflicted, it says that you'll be raised up, you'll be forgiven, and you will be cleansed. And we'd love to pray this morning for those who would like to receive um, prayer. As we're worshipping this morning, uh, just to say that I just got this picture. I was singing the, the, the song, Strength Will Rise, Who Wait Upon the Lord. And it's a great song. A friend, a very close friend of ours wrote that song. He gets lots of royalties. I get no royalties for singing it, but anyway, it helps him. 
And I had this picture of somebody with a, a knee brace on. And I just had this, there's a verse in the Bible, isn't it? It says, strengthen your feeble knees. And uh, I just had this feeling that be good to pray for this morning that those who feel as if they've got feeble knees. So I just felt that this morning that God wanted to strengthen your feeble knees. That's not a criticism about having feeble knees. An exercise can help. But just had this sense that God wanted to bless physically those who, who feel in that place. Also, I had a sense that on the, the left-hand side, that uh, somebody's very recently strained um, your back. And uh, the fluency of movement has gone within your back. That might sound a simple thing. You might think, well, that could be a few people. That might be a few people. Because our knees and our backs are very important for us. But it might not be related to any of those things at all. It could be something else that you would like to receive prayer for this morning. So the band's going to lead us in a wonderful song, Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. And as we sing that, I'm going to invite people like Jamie and Wendy and... um, James and uh, Elaine and uh, those that are leaders in the church, if you can come forward as well, uh, then we will pray for people. So we're just going to worship for a moment. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't think, oh, I'd like to be prayed for. This is for other people. We'd love to pray for you this morning. So as the band leads us over the next few moments, please come and join us and we'll pray.